Knowledge is good. Knowledge is good. Ability is good. Skill, ability. We spend a lot of our lives trying to educate ourselves better to gain more knowledge. And our world reflects the gaining of knowledge and skill or uh, knowledge over the course of our civilizations. Skill, the ability, we're always working to refine those things to make ourselves more skillful, have greater ability. Those things are good. But each week we've reminded you that what makes the difference in our own lives and then in our communities and our world is passion. Passion. Passion is the thing that changes the whole dynamic. It takes people who have knowledge. It takes people who have skill. And it, it literally combines their, their energies and their efforts towards something that sticks, that lasts, that makes a difference. Our communities are full of programs and great things and traditions that somebody who had a passion about that just wouldn't let it go and poured themselves into it and it lasts and it stuck and it changed things. We call this week, this last week of Jesus, the Passion Week, right? They've called it that for years because it grabs a hold of that idea that passion is what drove Jesus through the events of this week all the way to a rugged cross and then an empty tomb. It was his passion for us, his love, his mercy, his kindness that he had for us poured in that created a compelling passion that there was nothing that was going to stand in the way of him walking through this week and accomplishing his mission. Passion, passion. If you have not been here, you've missed some time, I just encourage you to go back the last three weeks as we've walked through the events of this week, as we've tried to tap in and understand what happened, why it happened, and what it means to us. And uh, I just invite you, there's through, uh, through our website, through social media, or Facebook, you can, you can kind of understand that. But when we left last week, we had stopped and we had thought about, and we had dwelt on this, this Thursday night, this scene of Jesus in a garden with his disciples and, and him really, for me, the, like, the pinnacle, the climax of um, this week to me is that night, that Thursday night. As he realizes he's come this far and he's right on the brink and yet, we see this startling picture of his humanity as he struggles. God, I, I, Father, I, I know I need to do this, but I don't want to do this. If it's possible, let the cup, this wrath of God, would you allow it to be passed from me? Is there another way? And the Father who sends an angel to strengthen him and in essence also communicates to him, there is no other way. This is the way. And Jesus prays, okay, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And in that moment, he settles what he's going to do. And you remember, we've left that garden and we've thought about his passion for our commitment because he models for us 
exactly the way that we can experience the plans that God has for our life, the, the way, the will that God wants to work out in our life, it's always tied into that simple prayer that Jesus himself prays for us and modeling to us for our own lives, not my will, but thy will be done, Father. And in that moment, we see his passion is for our commitment and the possibilities and the plans that God has for your life is great. And it's, as the scriptures say, it's probably beyond your imagination what he wants to do. But contingent on that is you and I's commitment, our dependence, our trust in his will. And as his will is accomplished in our lives, then his plan can be done with our lives. And that's where we stopped. But as you would continue reading in the scriptures, and we've been very intentional about reading through these, like just spending time with them, allowing the word, just as we read it, to speak to us. You would read where as soon as he says that prayer and he gets up and he realized the guys have fallen asleep again and he's on his own in essence, they, you know, um, they, they, they just... They're, they're just not getting it, and they're so stressed out that they're, so, they're, just, they're overwhelmed. They just go to sleep. They just check out. And he realizes um, it's time. They're on their way. And you remember that in, that in those next verses, you see Judas coming to that place where he knew Jesus would be because he went there often, bringing the religious leaders, the Jewish police, as it were, and he has betrayed our Lord for 30 pieces of silver. And in essence, one of his disciples willing to do this has opened the door. It's emboldened them to go ahead and arrest him because they realize for three years they've tried to trick him. They've tried to discredit him. They've tried to even kill him at different times. And it's not worked, but it's come to such a point that either they do something or they're going to lose all credibility in their minds with their people. And so this is the moment that they walk in and you remember that they arrest him. And we have that scene where Peter, he's having none of it. He's fully awake now. He pulls a sword out, cuts off the, the, uh, the guard's ear and, and uh, Jesus puts it back on. Remember these things? Am I kind of awakening your minds and through this story? And, uh, but he's led away. And we would read where he goes through kind of a weird series of, of trials. It's almost like three phases of Jewish trials as he stood before their, their leaders and then their Sanhedrin. And in essence, through all of that, it, it simply comes to, the, to the, the point that there is no compromise. There is, there is stark difference. He is claiming to be the Messiah. And so there... Their decision is that he must be put to death as a blasphemer. But obviously, they're a Roman province. They're not their own country. And in order to do this, they need the permission of Rome. And so you remember how they take him before the Roman governor, Pilate. And you remember that series of events where, you know, Pilate's wife's had a dream about Jesus. And she warns Pilate, hey, be careful with this guy. Don't, don't have anything to do with him. And Pilate, he, he, he too himself is trying to figure out what, what, is, what is the problem here? And yet, because he's already in trouble with Rome because the Jewish people have complained about him twice, he sticks with it through this. But he tries to pass the buck, so to speak. You remember, as he, uh, isn't this guy from Galilee? Well, Herod's kind of over Galilee. Let's send him up to Herod or to Herod. Herod would have been in town. 
And so Herod has a chance. Jesus stands before him, and Herod at the same point is like, you know, I don't know what to do. Pass him back to Pilate. And Pilate is pushed into a corner until he has to literally say, okay, um, I'll give you a choice. Uh, obviously, you feel like at the Passover time, it was your tradition for a criminal to be prosecuted and to be killed. Uh, that was kind of the Jewish Caiaphas had come up with this. And so I'm going to give you a shot here. I'll present Jesus or I'll present this common criminal Barabbas. And you remember the words of the crowd as they have been so uh, stirred up and deceived by the religious community that they begin to yell, crucify, and disappointed by Jesus not doing anything when he rode into town, not being the conqueror that they thought he was. They're so disappointed that they're yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And we remember Jesus is then taken by the Romans. And Pilate says, this is your decision. And it says in the scriptures that they begin the process the execution process. They begin by scourging our Lord. And we read those words and it's easy for us to just slip through them very uh, without, uh, uh, with a limited understanding. And yet, you and I need to just dwell for a little bit this morning on what that meant for him to be scourged. Literally, he would have been taken and his wrists tied to a post his feet suspended from the ground, his body stretched tight, and they would have taken this, this uh, leather piece with a, a handle, a wooden handle on it, and on the end of that, they would have tied together bits of stone and bone and, and metal. And to begin the execution process, they would have begun to lash him with those, with those leather strips and lash him to a point where often it was the case where his back begins to be so ripped and torn and the flesh is just ripped away until his internal organs back here, right? Um, I'm not a doctor, um, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. <laughs> he would have, his internal organs would have been exposed. And I want you to grab a hold of that. That's my whole point today. I want us just to dwell on what he went through on that day. Because for us in 21st century America, we read these words and it's so easy to move on. And yet what happened that day was so significant. How it happened, what went down matters. It matters to us. It's God's way of communicating something to us. He orchestrated what was going to happen. Now, what is he trying to help us to see? And we see Jesus, the creator of the world, the one who Colossians says that he holds all of the world in his hand, so to speak, in him and through him, everything that exists consists and moves. The one that is that is being flogged in a way that his body, his flesh is being ripped off his back 
And then the soldiers, as they would do with any common criminal like this, they would begin to mock him, and especially this, this guy who claims to be a king. They would have begun this whole thing of, of putting a robe on him and mocking him and spitting, and it says they would slap him up. And, and just think about movie scenes that you've seen, somebody getting beat or tortured. That's that, probably on steroids. He's just literally becoming disfigured in his face as he's swollen from the beating and he's bruised and, he's ble- and his back's bleeding and they're mocking him, they're jeering who he is until finally they went through that process and it's time to, to, time to take this guy off. And you remember the story how it goes where Simon, uh, uh, the man who was able to carry his cross because literally Jesus was at a point where he couldn't do it. And he's taken to this place outside of the city called Golgotha. And that's where I want to jump into our reading. I've tried to take the four Gospels this morning and mesh them together to read them as it were, as the writers say some of the same things, but then some of them include details that aren't there. And so we're doing that. We're just reading it as it would have happened. Let's just read it this morning uh, let me read it for you and, you, and you just sit on it and dwell. Mark would have stopped out, started with this. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, and there they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. See, this was such an awful death. This death that was only reserved for the lowest criminals. Most of the time, robe, if they needed to take care of someone, they'd just behead them. Or do something else. They reserve this kind of death for the lowest of the low. Um, And that's what Jesus is facing. Now you notice that the Jewish people never crucified. They would stone, right? They would stone somebody. But they are so intent on Jesus being discredited. He's not a Jewish king. He's nothing to do with what we are about. That they allow the Romans to crucify him instead of stoning him. It's their way of saying that guy, he, wasn't even, he didn't even die a Jewish death. And so Jesus is being completely bottom of the barrel, discredited in every way by this world, dying a criminal's death. And not even the death of his own people, so to speak. Not being stoned. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't go for either. But he couldn't even say, I got stoned like a Jewish person would. I, got, I, I had to be executed as a Roman. But what would happen is, there were Jewish, there were Jewish women in Jerusalem that as this would happen, they, they felt compelled often to try to through an act of mercy, help those criminals that were going to be crucified. And so they would bring them this mixture of wine and bitter herbs. And it tells us actually this herb was myrrh. And basically what it was was just a chance, hey, on your way to, the, on your way to a cross, here's something for you to drink. And it's like a sedative. It begins to numb your mind and your senses. It's like a modern day, I don't know, oxycodone. Here's a little relief. We feel badly for what's about to happen. Here's something to at least, and Jesus does not take it. Because Jesus is intent on having all of his senses as he lives through these next few hours. 
There is always, always, always a commitment from Jesus Christ to go to the very depths and lengths of this whole ordeal to communicate one thing to us. God will go to whatever lengths it is possible to be connected back with us. And so he says, no, I, I don't want it. He, he does not take it. And they come to the place called the skull and they, they crucify him there. And you know what that is, right? They would lay this broken person down, disfigured, colored, those thorns they've crushed on his head. I've, I've been to Israel and I've looked, I've walked through those, those patches where those thorns, those very thorns are growing. Man, they are like this long. And uh, I, you know, I don't like to get hit by a rose thorn here. But looking at those things there, I mean, you're talking major damage. And they have crushed it down and blood is running down his face. And they've laid him down now. And they've taken a nail and they've put one foot on, front, on top of the other. And right where the arch of your foot is, they've pounded that nail down through his flesh, down through one foot and then to another and then into that cross. And then they've reached over and they've, they've taken his arms and they've made sure his knees could extend just a little bit. That was not a nice gesture on their part. They wanted this to last longer, to hurt more, for him to struggle more. But they've extended his arms out now, right? And they realize, they know, they're the masters of this stuff. They were, man, they were nasty people. Uh, you don't put the nail here. Because you know what? A guy struggling there, he'll rip right through all of that and his arm will fall off. So they take right here, guys, right there. You think of the pain? And they drive nails through his wrists, so it were, so he would stay there. They've driven those and they pick him up and they drop him down in a hole and on purpose they would drop him. Why? So as soon as his body hits the tearing of the flesh would begin and the pain would just race to his brain and explode in his brain. His sensors are just going nuts and he's in extreme pain. And so often we see a picture of crosses like way up and they looked up at Jesus, but that was not the case. They would actually put the cross just a little bit above the ground. Again, it was just a way of, of messing with their mind of giving you the worst possible death because as you're suspended there, two things are happening because now you have to figure out how to keep yourself up, right? But also, if you're that close to the ground, all you're thinking in your mind is all I need to do is just get one step out on firm ground and yet you can't. It also was a way for people to look you in the eye still and mock you and spit on you. The insults, the, the humiliation of it all. And that's what it, when we read, and he was crucified, this is what's going on. You know how your body would begin to, uh, you want to lift yourself up, and then all the processes of trying to do that, you begin to cramp your, your muscles in your arms would cramp. Your pectoral muscles would start to cramp. You know what it's like to have a, a cramp, just dealing with that. 
And he's dealing with all this and to a point where he's cramped so much that he just stops cramping, but he's lost some function. And yet he keeps trying to lift himself up so he can breathe right. But in that struggle and his back is rubbing against that, that rugged wooden cross and the organs that are exposed are just being, it's, you get the picture. And now he's having trouble lifting himself up because his muscle, they're losing strength. But you need to lift yourself up because you need to breathe in and then you need to breathe out. And yet, as you begin to sag, you're taking air in, but it's not being exhaled back out. And so carbon dioxide is starting to form in your lungs and into your bloodstream. That was the death of crucifixion. And so when we read, and there they crucified him, every time you look at a, a cross, this is what this means. We put it on our necks, we put it on our whatever, our shirts, and rightly so, it is the symbol of what we're all about. But remember that there is a backstory to what that's all about. And that's what we read, that's what we grasp when it says, and there he was crucified. It goes on and says, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus is saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. One time in high school, I, 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 got sucker, I got sucker hit by a guy. Didn't see it coming, messing around with me. My first reaction, my first response, I just went after him. I started hitting him, hitting him, throwing him down tables. That's the human natural response, isn't it? Eye for an eye tooth for a tooth. You hit me in the nose, I'm going to hit you back. And yet, here's Jesus on a cross. There is no sense of retaliation of all. Only pure, unadulterated love for people as he's dealing with this. Father, as he repeatedly says this, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. And it says they divided up his clothes by casting lots. That's the thing they would do, just demeaning, humiliating. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. And they said he saved others. It was true. Just a few weeks ago, he had raised Lazarus from the dead. From the dead. Why doesn't he save himself? If he is God's Messiah, the chosen one, isn't it so often when you know something to be true and somebody says a lie about you, you want to just say, nuh uh. Oh, and here he is, the chosen one, God's Messiah. And yet he keeps enduring it and mocked and jeered at. The soldiers came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who stood there, who hung there, hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him, saying, Don't you fear God, since you're under the same sentence? 
we're punished justly. It's so obvious, even to a guy who didn't even know Jesus, spent a few moments with him in his worst moments, he could tell. There's nothing wrong with this guy. He is who he says he is. He is love. He is, we are getting what we deserve, what our deeds deserve. This man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I'm going to tell you, I'm not thinking about anybody else at that moment. (laughs) Right? I'm probably thinking, just let me die right now. Jesus is saying things like, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Can you not sense This climax has been coming. This is why he split heaven and came to earth. This is what it means for the incarnational God to be on a mission. And that mission is represented on that wooden cross. And even in those moments of his most severe pain and suffering, he's thinking about those he came for. You'll be with me today. Near the cross, look at this, of Jesus stood his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple, John, whom he loved, standing nearby, he said, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to John, he said, here is your mother. This is unbelievable. I mean, everything about him should be self-focused, should be survival instinct. And he's taking care of his mother. He's forgiving a a criminal saint. He's crying out, forgive them for what they're doing. And from that day forward, John took care of Mary, Jesus' mother. And then it says from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness comes over the land. Darkness was always representative like this of God's wrath, of God's judgment. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cries out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we can sit here and think about the physical anguish that he's going through, and we can just be floored and overwhelmed by someone who cares and loves to go through this, let alone the creator of the world who endured this. And yet now comes the moment of his greatest anguish. The anguish that is above any kind of physical anguish. As for the first time, God, the the Son, is experiencing separation from his Father and the Holy Spirit. It wasn't a separation of nature. and the, The Trinity didn't cease to exist in that moment. But as God, who is allowing the sins of the whole world to be born on Jesus Christ and what he is seeing in Jesus, this injustice, this, his son, the perfect one, suffering a death that is unbelievably unjust. All he can see is sin. And Jesus is bearing all of that on him. And he turns away from that as he always has from sin. And in that moment, Jesus, who's always had this perfect, perfect relationship with the Father, and it still remains perfect, but there's all of a sudden a loss of fellowship and communion and intimacy as the Father turns away from sin, and Jesus is crying out and suffering the greatest anguish. That should be a reminder to us today. 
We live and we're captivated by a material world so much, so much, so much. But I'm telling you, the greatest anguish we could ever experience, that we will ever experience, is the separation of our soul from God. That is the biggest thing. That is the biggest deal. That's what caused Jesus the most pain. And that's always what will cause us the most pain in this world. And obviously for eternity is separation from the Father. Why have you forsaken me? And some of them standing there heard this. They said, oh, he's crying out for Elijah. And later, knowing that everything had now been fulfilled, finished, and the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. And a jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked it in a sponge and they put it on hyssop and they lifted it to his feet or to his lips. And when he received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave out his spirit. John tells us, or Luke tells us a little bit more. He says, when he said it was finished, he then cries out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathes his last breath. It's interesting there when it says that he breathed his last breath. Fifteen times in scripture that word is used and it means what it means. He breathed, hey, my last breath. But they, both writers that write about this use a different word. They use two words. And it's very intentional. And it's Jesus chose at that moment to breathe his last breath. He chose this is my last breath. I need to die. <laughs> and as he breathes his last, it's always with one thing in mind. I have to do this. I have to do this. I have to do this. I am going to allow myself right now. I'm going to, it's the, it, it, I've, I read about it this week. It's, it's actually, anyway, that's a different story. It's a bringing of his body under subjection to his will. And he says, this is it. And I just wanted to soak in that this morning, right? This is what he did. This is what it means to say, to realize Jesus was crucified. This is what he's saying. This is how he went. And I've asked myself this week, why? Why this way, God? Why not just, whoop, take my head off? I'm still gonna die, and it's unjust, and in my giving of myself, it's going to be legitimate. I shouldn't have died, I didn't do anything wrong. Why the cross? Because I think, I know that God, who's the master of trying to communicate with us, trying to show us something about himself, trying to help us latch on to something. He wanted to go this way because he always wants us to realize this is to the depths that God loves you. Forgiveness, forgiveness is what this means. Two boards and three nails. It's God's intention always 
to do whatever was necessary to give us a chance. And his passion, his passion was for our forgiveness. Isaiah would say he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was on him, or the the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Paul said it this way, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The writer to Hebrews continues that theme when he says, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time. His passion led him to this point. Forgiveness has never been free. Forgiveness has always been costly. When you choose to forgive, there's cost. What needed to happen for our forgiveness was there needed to be debt paid. And this is it. But now, if you think about the scales, the sins of the world piling up millions of people, then billions of people, all sinning and falling short of the glory of God. And people literally like in the days of Noah, just sinning unrestrained forgetting about God and who he is and doing their own thing and it's just piling up and the scales are this much and yet Jesus' work literally stepping on that scale and doing this. See, the religions of the world and even our culture realizes that there needs to be justice. It needs to be fair. Things need to be right. We keep going to movies where we just love the fact that the villain is straightened out. And in fact, not only is he straightened out, but he's punished. And most of the time he's killed, right? And we walk away and we think, yeah, that was right. That was good. It was set right. That's who we are, created in the image of God. We have that certain sense of justice and quality and fairness and rightness. And God sets all of it right through his work. But his work is so powerful and it's so overwhelming that literally the scales tip this much. And God, in essence, is saying, listen, there is nothing that you have done that is unforgivable. What I have done has overpowered anything you have done. Sin is loud. Forgiveness screams louder. And him going this way, 
him doing it this way is just always, always screaming to us, this is how much I love you. This is how much I want you to understand that I forgive you. I forgive you. You can't do anything. The religions of this world are built around the fact to appease that guilt we have. And so I can do something to appease. I need to work to merit some favor, to, to offset the balance, the debt. We all get that. Our world gets that. And Jesus goes to the cross and says, listen, you can go ahead and try or you can trust. And you can simply accept my forgiveness for your sins. His passion that day was for our forgiveness. Our being made clean, forgiven, acquitted, washed. I just wanted us to dwell on that this morning. Let's stand as we uh, get ready to go. And would you sing with Ben this morning? And my prayer is that if there's somebody here, you don't know what that is to be forgiven. You've carried your sin. You carry your sins. You live guilty. You feel condemned. Well, that's what this was all about. And my prayer is today that you would just simply see the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ. My prayer today is for some of you who've come in and you've, you've come to Jesus and yet so often you find yourself struggling, maybe with sins, back and forth, wanting to do better, feeling guilty, but yet you know Jesus and, and yet you just feel so tied up. And you just, would you just remember, just trust in his forgiveness. It doesn't matter if it's the 500th time you've asked him. Somebody that does something like this cares so much for you. All he cares about is, are you coming to him? Are you trusting him? Are you looking to him? Would you do that this morning? Some, it's so easy to find yourself at a point where you experience God's forgiveness and his love in a new way and you have a new life. And yet you so easily morph into Okay, now I'm a Christian. Now I need to do this, 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 and this. And this is what makes me acceptable to God. This, 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 this. And really what you've done is you've come into the family through grace, but now you're living by your own merit and your own work. Can I remind you that every day of our life is lived in light of the cross? It's always God's forgiveness. Always God's love. Today I wake up and say, Father, you loved me. You forgive me. I can do nothing else. And that's where I'm going to rest. That's where I'm going to dwell. Can we do that this morning as we sing? How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure.
How great the pain of searing loss The Father turns His face away As wounds which part the chosen one Bring many sons to glory Behold a man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice fall down among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished his dying breath has brought me life i know that it is finished and i will not boast in anything no gifts no power no wisdom if not but i will boast in jesus christ his death and resurrection why should i gain from his reward I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart, His wounds have paid my ransom. Father, as we go, we do so in light of the cross, always in light of the cross. And on purpose this morning, we've allowed ourselves to to be sober, to think on things that cause us, they're heavy. But we want to go being reminded just how weighty and deep your love is for us. And what you allowed yourself to go through for one reason, for one reason. That was to provide for our forgiveness, our pardon, our our reconciliation with a relationship with God, to be connected, to be free, forgiven, clean. So we go from this place thanking you, grateful, trusting in you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Have a great week.